When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. It's international break, but we've still got plenty to discuss in the world of Tottenham Hotspur, including Sunday's brilliant 3-1 win over West Ham. We'll also be looking ahead to the international fixtures to come for a number of the Tottenham team and also looking ahead to Tottenham's next Premier League home game against Newcastle United next Sunday. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you doing during the during the international break? I'm glad that was difficult for you to say because, quite frankly, um, as everyone knows, the international break is not my favourite time of the season. And the reason uh, I'm glad Guesty slightly stumbled on saying it is because he's uh, he abandoned me for most of this week to uh, to head off to Dublin to escape what the uh, international break brings for us as club journalists, which is pretty much nothing in terms of there's very little to write about. There's very little to, um, you know, that's new and fresh to write about. Um, so we have to be very creative. Um, and actually, it's weird, isn't it? We were saying this just before we came on air for this, that feels like the West Ham game was ages ago now. It's uh, it's, it's funny the way it works. But uh, but yeah, now if anyone's wondering, the reason we're doing that is, like I say, I guess he's been away, but he's very kindly come in on a day off to help us uh, do the podcast so that you guys and girls can still listen to us uh, whinge or get overexcited about various things. Um, so yes, there's loads to discuss and... Quite frankly, it's a, it's a nice departure from the international break to be able to talk about stuff. Yeah, uh, let's get straight into the West Ham win. It's obviously a vital game for Tottenham. It was in the top four race looking to end the run of the sequence where it's just win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And thankfully, they did. They backed up their win at Brighton with another victory against West Ham, Son Hyung Min. In top form, getting two of the goals on the day, also involved in the first one, what was a Kurt Zuma own goal. Ali, you were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last Sunday. What did you make of the performance overall? It was good. It was good. And I think you can just feel the whole mood has transformed around. It's 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 amazing what two wins in a row can do, isn't it? <laughs> We've been waiting for much of 2022 for it. Um, but this is the irony is that the way it's obviously worked, all this win-loss, win-loss stuff, actually, when it comes to the Premier League, I think it's four wins out of five, isn't it? And that's what's really propelled Spurs into a decent position. Um, I was only telling someone earlier, and this is probably the worst thing you can possibly say, but I'm actually quite looking forward to the running. It's like there's stuff to play for. Spurs are actually in there, and uh, you know, and I think Sunday was, was a big game. They had, to, they had a lot of pressure on them because essentially you lose that, you're probably, it's becoming a bit of a faint hope then to get the top four. Um, but they stepped up to the mark. They did really well. I thought all the big game players stood up as well and really made themselves uh, kind of uh, seen and, and heard. And um, yeah, it, w- it was a good performance. Look, West Ham, obviously, they had the Thursday night 
Europa League exploits, which uh, I'd probably say will have drained them a little bit physically and mentally. But I'd say Spurs probably did the bulk of their good stuff in the first half when West Ham would have been fresher. Um, so I don't think it entirely, entirely works. And I think there were just a lot of good performances in the team on the day. And now the crucial thing is, is to take that on and, and make that the norm rather than just like a, a one-off occasion. Yeah, I think it gives everyone a big lift going into the the running now after this international break. It's probably a shame that there is international football going on at the moment because with two successive wins in the Premier League, I think everyone at Tottenham would just like to carry on playing football and just continue in their run of form at present. But unfortunately, if we've got international football, uh, but I think overall Tottenham were really good on Sunday against West Ham and like you said they started uh, well from the off what's not always been the case and I know Conte made it clear after the Middlesbrough game in the FA Cup about the need to kill off your opponents when you've got chances and after going 1-0 up Son then hit the post didn't he and you're thinking that could come back to haunt them but thankfully it didn't because he, uh, he managed to get one not long after obviously West Ham got themselves back into the game through side Benarama, a well-taken goal. But Spurs, after that, still had chances, you know, to restore that two-goal cushion. Didn't until uh, the closing minutes, but West Ham, I don't think, well, I can't remember them really threatening Hugo Lloris. It it looked pretty comfortable, but there's always going to be that threat of them uh, going up and, you know, creating something because they have got such a good team now. Uh, but no, thankfully, Spurs held on. Really, really important win. And he just puts the pressure on Arsenal now. Uh, three points between the two. Yeah, I think everyone will probably say Arsenal are the favourites, uh, given they do have that three-point cushion. But Arsenal have some very tough games coming up over the very coming much. weeks. And now they're in a good run of form at the moment. So it's all to play for. And it could well all come down to the North London derby, what we imagine probably will be rescheduled for the final week of the season now. It could be the case like it was at the Etihad Stadium in 2010 when it was Man City and Spurs in that straight shootout for a Champions League place. could be that, but there's a lot of football to be played between now and then. Uh, just going back to, obviously, Sonny, Sonny's performance on Sunday. He's had a... A bit of a mixed time, shall we say, in recent weeks. Uh, but he's always seems to contribute, whether that's a goal or an assist. He did look back to his best, though, didn't he? Yeah, I thought he got more and more confident as the game wore on. I thought by the end of the game, especially that second goal, that's Sonny. That's the Sonny we kind of we all know, and that you know the confidence in the finishing. I think that's what I said before. When he's not as confident. When he goes through on those one-on-ones, you just see that little moment of doubt when he has to think about something, whereas that final goal was him back to his best. And To be honest, I don't think there was any doubt he was going to score it. It was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, now I dug up a good stat um, for um, a piece I did the other day. That is the one thing about the international break. It does make you look probably deeper into stats and things just to find anything interesting. Because, um, yeah, we've all felt this with Sonny, that he's been contributing but maybe maybe it's been overplayed or he's been tired, but he just his confidence, I think, has dropped in recent weeks. Um, maybe 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 last couple of months. But when you look at the stats, 
you just realise how huge he is for Tottenham, how important he is. So in case anyone isn't aware of these, since the start of December, there have been only four Premier League matches that Sonny hasn't scored or assisted a goal in. Just four in all that time. In total, he's been involved in that period in 14 goals in 15 games. So that's scoring nine and assisting five. If that isn't the perfect representation of a player that you should never, ever kind of drop from your team, because it's such a big thing, isn't it? That's That, for me, is the sign of a top player. Even when they're not playing well, they're still providing assists and goals. That's just huge. Whereas, um, I don't know. I mean, if, if you're going to... If, I don't know whether this is unfair or not, but if you're going to compare, I suppose you could argue that Harry Kane at the start of the season was maybe struggling for confidence, but wasn't quite finding his way, but wasn't really coming up with the goals or assists. Whereas Sonny, when he's maybe dipped in form and confidence, still has, which is yeah, it's one way to look at it. Um, but just quite frankly, the most important thing is, is now it looks like Sonny will be back to his best. And quite frankly, if that's him not at his best, getting those numbers, what's his best going to be like? It's going to be incredible. Um, and you've clearly got Harry Kane back to where he should be as well. So you get those two flying and you get Kudasevsky as well, um, you know, providing that lovely balance to the front three that he does. And I think that's part of why I'm quite excited and looking forward to this run-in because as long as Touchwood, none of them get injured on their remaining international games, there's a... Yeah, that there's something forming there. There's a nice, like, attacking trident, as I like to call it up there, that I think is 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 great. I mean, that's the other thing you could say for Kane. At the start of the season, no one was creating anything for him. You know, and that Nuno team, chances were at a premium. Um, it's a different Tottenham team now, very much. They're, uh, I mean, like David Moyes, I missed it, but apparently he said after the game that Spurs, um, to paraphrase hugely, because I can't remember what the actual quote was, he said something like, essentially Spurs didn't do much, but just kind of caught us on the break. And I was a bit like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I looked back and it was like, Spurs had more possession. It's 17 shots on goal compared to West Ham six. And like you said, I don't remember Loris having to make a save. I remember him obviously he had to put the ball out of the net for Ben Rama's shot, which was the one shot I remember them kind of having on goal. And then I think he took quite a tricky catch from a corner at a second attempt and that's about it so yeah I thought that was just a bit weird to say that so I appreciate sometimes you stick up for your own team but to kind of categorize that game as a Spurs weren't really much better than us didn't create much they just kind of caught us on the break a few times no 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 17 shots and goal is not occasionally catching you on the break but uh sorry I digress slightly from Sonny Sonny um yeah I thought he was excellent as it got on he just went better and better he was my man of the match he, there were a couple of little moments where, of course, he will want to have done better, I think, when he looks back. Obviously, it was a bit awkward for their goal, for that Ben Rama goal. He, he kind of seemed like he was marking Dawson at one point and then left him to go across to Ben Rama and end up kind of not really marking either of them. So I'm sure that's something he'll look back on. And, and also, maybe as a team, the defending wasn't very good. And then there was a bit of a weird moment when Zuma kicked the ball towards him. Um, not the hardest kick we've ever seen in the world, and and Sonny kind of went down on the floor. I mean, this is, Sonny's not alone in this. This is something that we see a lot of footballers do. I think it's trying to draw the referee's attention to an incident that maybe was a little bit naughty from Zuma. I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, I think that's maybe there may be two instances that I think Sonny will look back on and think, yeah, maybe, maybe could have done a little bit better in those or not done certainly one of them. But that's not to detract from what was a terrific performance. You know, the first goal um, was all about his movement. His movement is that's the one thing that hasn't dipped, I don't think, really, with his confidence. I think his movement has still been excellent. Um, good finish. It's an interesting one because a lot of the angles seem to suggest that it had took a little deflection of Zuma, which is why it suddenly had that looping trajectory to it. Whereas I've been told, I haven't seen it, but apparently the American coverage has a slightly different angle, which seems to suggest it didn't touch Zuma at all. Um, obviously, we haven't seen that, so we're not part of that. We've only seen the angles that look like it takes a deflection, um, which is a strange one for me because I think the, the, the like a normal shot, um, but that's not to take away from the movement and the fact that it's exactly what Spurs needed in that moment. And then, like I say, his second goal was superb. It was uh, it was the old Route 1 football, wasn't it? it was Laurie's boot up pitch, Kane heading the ball on, two centre-backs of West Ham bizarrely challenging each other and Kane and still losing to give Sonny a free run and goal, and he made no mistake. And I think the roar that he let out when he scored that goal, when he was a fan, I think that was a bit of everything. It was a bit of relief that he scored that kind of goal, which perhaps he hasn't been scoring recently, um, and a relief for the team as well. And that's something that um, I think I asked, didn't I? I asked Conte after the game. I said, you know, you said before the game that you'd be crazy to drop Sonny. Was this why? And he had a bit of a chuckle at that. And then he kind of made the point that the biggest thing about Sonny is his first thought is about the team, not himself. Um, and I do wonder whether that roar was just the delight of a big goal that killed the game that moment. And, uh, yeah, great to see Sonny back on top form. But as we said, his top form is going to be incredible if his bad forms everything to go by because he's still scoring and assisting. Yeah, that's the thing with him. Uh, I can remember when Kane picked up the hamstring injury at Southampton New Year's Day 2020. Son was the main man in the weeks after that. Wasn't particularly playing well, but I was chipped in with, you know, some big goals when Spurs needed it. And yeah, he's done that in recent weeks. Uh, again, I, I don't think he's been near his best. For me, he, he's looked like he's needed the rest, maybe just a breather uh, just to get him back, to help get him back to his best because he struggled at Middlesbrough. <laughs> he didn't have a good evening there at the Riverside at all. Yeah, Brighton as uh, Brighton as well before that but hopefully he can like really kick on and we see the best of Son in the final few weeks of the season because that's what Antonio Conte and Tottenham are going to need if they are to get fourth and it's good to see Kane playing extremely well as well at present and hopefully that only bodes well uh, for Tottenham uh, at the other end of the pitch I think there's someone who deserves a lot of praise and that was Christian Romero, I thought he was outstanding on Sunday against West Ham, up against Mikel Antonio when they both went head-to-head at the London Stadium back in October. Antonio probably did get the better of him on a, a number of occasions. Uh, it was quite a good battle between them. Uh, but on Sunday, Romero literally gave Antonio no chance at all. He was just on him as soon as he got the ball what we expect from Romero is that, you know, aggressive defending, determination to win the ball. And it was exactly that throughout. And I think it was 
60 minutes on the clock when Antonio went off. Um, I know he came off injured, I think, the week before in the Premier League match against Aston Villa. Uh, he did have a couple of good openings on goal, to be fair. He flashed one wide in the first half and then volleyed over in a good position in the second half. But other than that, he didn't really do anything. And that was partly down to Romero and the rest of the Spurs defence just limiting him. And there was one uh, better play from Romero later in the second half. I know we go on about his defending and that, how aggressive he is, how he wants to win the ball. But there was another bit of play where he just showed how calm he is on the ball, where he was in the corner with Pablo Fornells. It looked like he'd got out of the corner and then decided to go back in it and then managed to play his way out uh, with the help of his teammates. That was just... Really, really good defending from him and he's performing very well at the moment. And I think you'd agree with me that he was in top form on Sunday. Yeah, he was excellent. Just one last point on Sonny before we leave him. Joint second top scorer in the Premier League now, which is uh, is very cool, with a better goal conversion rate than Salah. Okay, just, just to drop that in at the end on Sonny. But Mero, <laughs> yeah, he was excellent. You know, we spoke a lot about his yellow cards last week. Um, and how, you know, would he manage to get through these four games? He still might not, but what I would say is this was probably the game we expected him to get a yellow card in, and I don't think he ever looked close to getting a yellow card. He was very in control. Um, Ahead of the game, I'd asked Conte about, um, because I wanted to follow up, he said a really interesting thing about him, Romero, in the week was that, you know, it's up to the manager to help him in a good way and a bad way. So I asked him after, uh, sorry, just ahead of the, the game against West Ham, I said, what exactly did you mean by that? And he kind of went on this long thing about Romero and how he needs to improve in certain aspects. And he eventually kind of got to the point. I think sometimes he does that, Conte. He likes to go off on a tangent, maybe a bit like me on this podcast, um, and then eventually kind of circles back round. And he just said, sometimes I just have to shout at him. It's as simple as that. He knows I'm trying to do the best for him and it's only looking out for him, but I sometimes I just have to shout at him to get him to do what I want him to do. Um, and I think you see that with Romero. He's he's at only 23 years old. He comes in with the confidence of having been named Serie A Defender of the Year. He, he probably, and quite frankly, understandably to a point, will think, I'm a very good defender, <laughs> you know? I know what I'm doing. But at 23 you don't, you know, there's a lot more learning to do. When you've got someone like Conte, who was, you know, he's worked with some of the best defenders in the world, hasn't he? You know, you you think of the older boys at Juventus as well that you'd have had and Inter as well, some of the most experienced top defenders in the world. Um, And at Chelsea as well, obviously had some very good ones. Um, Yeah, you soak up everything you can from a guy like that. And I just felt that we saw on Sunday a real response to Conte performance from Romero. It was almost like, yeah, okay, yeah, you want me to do this, you want me to not pick up silly yellow cards, because that was something Conte said as well. He's picking up unnecessary yellow cards, which is very much true. Some of the late tackles in daft areas of the pitch have just been silly. But funnily enough, the one tackle he did have to do, it was perfect, wasn't it? There was that one in the um, just kind of midway into the Spurs half. I forgot who it was on now, but it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Took away the ball. And like you said, the amount of times he's linking up, um, him, he and Benton Kerr have brought this calm in possession that their teammates know they can pass them the ball in tight spots and they don't have to worry. And that's such a crucial thing because Spurs have always had this issue with playing out when they're pressed. 
always struggle. They just hoof the ball to someone and give it away and, and let the other team attack. So when you've got players like that, yeah, I remember that moment you said they kind of he got out of the corner just so well, just linking up and getting up the pitch. Um, he was excellent. And yeah, like you say, Antonio did have a couple of chances, which, you know, you'd have thought, especially with his record against Spurs, he'd done better with. But both of those came, I think, on the other side of the, the penalty area. So it wouldn't have been Romero's fault in that regard. Um, now Romero is superb. Um, obviously now away with Argentina, bizarrely, because we all thought he wasn't going to go. And then suddenly I think Argentina got wind that perhaps they might be successful in appealing his two-game ban. Um, obviously, which came after the complete mess when he went previously with them. <laughs> um, oh, Romero on international duty. It's like, I, I understand that he'd be very patriotic and you love to play for your country, but it's brought him nothing but problems this season. He arrived at Spurs with an injury from the Copa America final. You know, he obviously had the mess of going over there and having to isolate. That then brought him the, um, the ban. Then he also got injured again, didn't he, on his next occasion, which obviously had him out for about three months. And now he's going with Argentina. You'd think you'd just say, stay at home, Christian. <laughs> Don't leave your house. It's just bad luck. Um, I mean, best case for scenario for Spurs probably right now on Conte is that he heads over there and they're not able to get the suspension. I mean, he's got a game tonight. He's got another game coming up as well. Argentina have already qualified for the World Cup. If there ever was a time to just let someone see out their suspension, this was probably it. Um, but it's not the case. Um, but yeah, for Spurs, just probably best case scenario is that he goes out there, just does a bit of training in the sunshine, doesn't have to play a game, less risk, comes back, ready to roll again for Tottenham. Um, but it's Tottenham. So he'll no doubt have to play one of the games and then something stupid will happen um, and we'll all be regretting um, Argentina and him getting together again. But no, nah, top performance on Sunday. And I think he's going to play a major part as long as he stays injury-free in the rest of this running. I think with Romero and the rest of the Argentine players, they absolutely love going on international duty. Uh, I mean, in the past when you've seen it with England, players dropping out and you're thinking, yeah, you don't really want to play for your country. You'd rather rest up in that. With Romero, the Argentinian players... South American players in general, they just absolutely love going on international duty and representing the country. It is a bit of a strange scenario when he is currently banned for both of their games. Obviously, they're hoping that they can appeal it and maybe can feature in the game. I think it's Wednesday against Ecuador, who have also qualified, so it's just a dead rubber of a game. Uh, but it might just be a case of, as well, just wanting to be there with the rest of his teammates, chance to go home as well for a bit of time. But yeah. I think the main thing is that from a Tottenham point of view, he comes back fully fit and just ready to kick on as uh, he has been playing really well in the past few weeks. And I think there's certainly more to come from him. Uh, another South American player I think we need to discuss, Rodrigo Bentenker. Again, Excellent against West Ham on Sunday in the middle of the pitch. I think there were some stats doing the rounds Sunday evening, Monday morning. Uh, I can't remember them uh, all, but I think he was pretty much like 100% or near enough in his passing and everything, really. 
Um, I've got right there. You go. I've got him. 103 touches of the ball. 100% of his tackles won. 100% of his uh, long balls were accurate. 100% of his take-ons were successful, and he had a 94.7% pass accuracy with 94 passes. And he also made two key tackles and one interception. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Then really, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had the parts playing Son's first as well with that pass to Kane, who then mm-hmm. played it through to Son. And then there was the bit in the second half when he was on the edge of his own area, thinking just, just get rid of the ball here. And then no, just a, a pirouette between two West Ham defenders. Uh, a situation a lot of players probably would have been rather concerned about losing the ball, but cool as you like, managed to get out of it and just played his way out of trouble. Uh, he's played really well uh, so far. The same with Kulisewski as well, since his move from Juventus in January and both have certainly improved Tottenham. And yeah, I thought it was excellent again. And again, the case with the foreign players, it does take him a bit of time to settle in. And I think there's going to be a lot, lot, more to come from the likes of Benson Kerr and Kulisewski. I don't think we've seen the best of them yet. What's certainly a good thing for Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to what we were just saying about Son. It's that if this is them when they're not at their best, what are they going to be like when they're properly settled in? And, and you know, it's uh, it's scary. I mean, Benson Kerr, oh my goodness, that moment when he did the pirouette, it was a bit like... Probably the most terrifying yet cool thing I've seen in ages at time. It was very Moussa Dembele-like. It was very much like that. Isn't it funny that we all kind of as- assuming that Tongi was going to be the new Dembele, and actually it might end up being Rodrigo Bentenker. You know, he's is that there's a quite a few similar traits he's got to him. Um, like you say, the build-up to that first goal was all about him and control in the corner and using the ball really well, and the just the pass was so pinpoint that it actually took Declan Rice out of the game because Declan Rice tried to intercept it, ended up kind of stumbling because he couldn't quite reach it, and then that gave Kane the room to to then sweep forward. Um, yeah, that was Sonny's first, wasn't it? Yes, that was um, that was excellent. And then obviously, um, yeah, it, it just it just played so well. He's um, I think the best thing you can say is probably what I said when I was talking about him and Romero. It's that there's a calm in the midfield when he plays. Don't get me wrong. He plays the odd silly ball. And that comes from, I think, being very relaxed in the way you play. Um, But he's one of those players, I think, that makes that extra little bit of time for himself. He doesn't look rushed. He doesn't look like he's panicking about anything. And and Conte keeps ramming this home. And and to be honest, I probably didn't understand it quite as much until I just started watching the... um, Amazon All or Nothing Juventus series. And Conte keeps saying right now that don't worry about Kulisevsky and Bentenka. They're coming from one of the biggest clubs in the world, has the biggest pressure you can imagine kind of thing. Don't worry about them coming to Tottenham and having to perform. And I can kind of understand what you meant. I mean, we always know that Juventus is a big club, but just watching that series, I'm only a couple of episodes in, but you can just see how huge everything is. Everything has ramifications at that club. The fans are so... Um, I suppose impatient purely because they're used to continuous success. I mean, was it nine in a row? Didn't they win nine league titles in a row? I Some, think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a club where if you're not the very best, you shouldn't be there. So the pressure is just incredible. So I, I completely understand what he means. That you know these two guys are probably coming into Spurs and thinking, ah, nice. We can actually kind of have a little space and time to grow to make the odd mistake 
Um, and maybe that's what's contributing to their quick starts is that they've actually lost a bit of the pressure that they had at Juventus and they can just focus and enjoy their football and they've got a manager in Conte who loves them both by the looks of it. He talks very highly of both of them. And we've seen some of the Kulusevsky quotes coming out in the last couple of days from the Sweden camp and he absolutely is adoring Tottenham right now and, and working for Conte. Uh, Conte says Kulusevsky's improved a load in six weeks. Kulusevsky feels he has as well. And I'd probably say the same will be about Bentoncourt. Bentoncourt, let's not forget, he's, he's won the Serie A title, is it three times? I think he has. And he was crucial in a couple of those. One especially, I, I remember kind of speaking to some of the Italian journalists and looking up his stats, and he was a big player that season. So he's still only 24. You know, Spurs have got him on a bargain deal. They could get the best years of Rodrigo Bentoncourt. Um, I can't wait to see what a pre-season, after a pre-season with him and Kulusevski, how good they're going to be. Um, it's a bit like remember when Lucas came in January and everyone kind of felt like he'd be better the next season because he almost had like a six-month pre-season to kind of get used to Spurs. And I think that's what we'll see with these guys. But I'd actually say they're making more of an impact than Lucas did in those first six months. He was kind of um, trying to feel his way into the Premier League, whereas these guys have very much um, have come in with a bang. And uh, yeah, really excited about Benzema. And I think... I think probably for now, the Hoybier and partnership with Benzema is the one we're going to see. It looks like it's growing nicely. I think Hoybier looks more comfortable alongside him. Um, not exactly sure we're probably going to see Oliver skip back quite as soon as Antonio Conte is making out. I think, from everything I understand, I think Conte is maybe putting a little bit more pressure on the medical department again <laughs> with, with his comments about him being, you know, improving Skippy. I think he's definitely definitely getting better. There's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel, but with suggest, some suggest. I mean, Conte wouldn't rule him out being back for Newcastle, which I think if he, what I'm told is if he makes it for Newcastle, it will be amazing. <laughs> It'll be an incredible <laughs> feat of improvement. I mean, I've been reading up on his injury and it's or his problem, and it seems very painful. It's like all in the pelvic area. So essentially, it comes through overwork and overuse, um, and I think that's probably a knock-on effect of. You know, a season at Norwich where he pretty much played 90 minutes every single game. And and, and the championship is is obviously a league that has more matches. There's so much to it. And then he's come into Spurs. I think he had an injury, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he broke his foot, didn't he, right at the end of the season. Yeah. That delayed his preseason slightly. And then he comes in, and as a young guy, what, 2021? I'm trying to think when he turned 21. But I'm trying to think if he came back when he was 20. I think, was, let's just say 21. He's come back in, and he's pretty much been a first team regular for Spurs so at such a young age I think that's what's caused it this this problem down there as we call it um it's, <laughs> that sounds dodgy than it is it is more I can't remember the exact word for it it's something like pubis symphys or something I'm, I'm actually murdering the medical pronunciation but it yeah it's a problem with the kind of the pelvic area um and, and the bones down there and uh yeah it's just a case I think the only real way to fix it is rest um, and not kind of pushing himself. And there is a little part of me that thinks, well, you've got Benton Kerr and Hoybier playing well, and you do have Winks there as, as the kind of the backup player. Do you just let Skip now maybe rest for more time and just make sure he's completely healed? Or do you kind of chuck him back in there as, as the weeks go on and then maybe say, right, well, you've got the summer to rest. But obviously it's, it's quite a short summer this time. Um but yeah, 
sorry, again, back to my original point, Benz and Kerr and Hoybier, I think I think we can see how that partnership's working. I think both players are enjoying playing alongside each other as well. They could get skipped back for the final few weeks, whether or not it is for Newcastle on Sunday, like Conte says. Getting back for the, you know, final, what, six or seven games can give uh, everyone such a huge boost at such a crucial time in the season. So hopefully we will get to see a bit more of Skip this season. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what he is like next to Benton Kerr, if that is the two that Conte does opt for in the end. Uh, shall we discuss the international break now? Uh, because a couple of Tottenham players were in action last night and a certain former Tottenham man uh, impressed during Wales's 2-1 win against Austria. Gareth Bale scored both goals, one outstanding free kick to put them 1-0 up and then a really well-taken goal uh, to give them a two-goal cushion. During that game, Austria did manage to get one back via a deflection off Ben Davis to set up a nervy finale, but they held on uh, to go through to their playoff final, what will be in June, I believe, against either Scotland or Ukraine. Joe Roden got a rare start in that game. I can't remember the last time we saw him in the Tottenham shirt. I think the last start was obviously Markham. He's come on since, yeah. hasn't he? Somewhere he I can't remember. One of the games, didn't he? Later, I can't remember. I can't remember. It might be Burnley away, maybe. I can't oh. remember to be honest. No, that, I think that was last season when he came on when Jose was manager at Burnley. Yeah. Came on late there. But he hasn't uh, been but, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, excellent last night. Really, really good. I saw there was a a flag in the stadium. Uh, before the game, saying the Joe Roden experience, and uh, I think the fans in the crowd were certainly treated to a very good display from him. He was so good last night, winning all the headers, tackles, everything up against Marko Arnautovic. You know, a proven player in the Premier League, does well on the international stage for Austria, one of their two main men, and uh, yeah pretty much nullified him uh, throughout. I thought he was just excellent from the very first minute and probably making a case to everyone at Tottenham why he should be playing, really. Uh, I take it you watched it as well and you were very impressed as well. Yeah, yeah I watched large chunks of it. I was kind of in and out trying to watch it. But, um, yeah, very, very good. And, and he is. He's one of these players, poor old Joe Roden, that, just hasn't really had things break his way. Whenever there's a moment where he might be about to get a run of games, he's had a little injury, especially start of this season was a real annoying one for him. But yeah, just managers haven't seemed to trust him. Whereas he goes away with Wales and, you know, we saw him at the Euros. He was superb there as well. And, and yeah, I, I do feel sorry for him because I do think there's a very good young defender in there who I think I really... I. I, I Next season, I think he has to not be at Spurs, I think, for his own good. My hope is that it's a loan, because I think if Spurs sell him, I get the impression that within two or three years, he's going to be in the Premier League playing incredibly well for someone, and all the big clubs are going to be looking at him again, and I think Spurs will have missed out. So my hope is that they loan him out to a Premier League team. He can shine there, then come back to Spurs with a little bit more clout to what he's doing and come to show... Look, I'm the 
you know, I'm far better than you think I am kind of thing. And, and all the managers praise him. They say what, a, you know, incredible worker he is. Everyone says about his work ethic behind the scenes apparently is superb. Um, doesn't get himself, like, doesn't show his frustration, disappointment, just attempts to, to give his all every time he gets out there. And, uh, yeah, I do feel very sorry for him. I just want to very quickly head in a very different direction, only because it's a little bit of breaking news that we can talk about uh, right now. Um the Tottenham Hotspur Sports Trust have just announced that in their discussions with the club over the season ticket renewal deadline, the club have declined um, the chance to change the deadline, um, which obviously is not going to go down very well with you. I think it was 29th of April, wasn't it? Which is like, it's like a month before the season ends. Um, yeah, I don't Tottenham do these things. They make these decisions, which I'm sure there must be some merit to it on their side. I'm, well, of course, financially, getting people's money in is going to be better for them and gives them more security, I guess, ahead of the summer and whatever they're going to do with that money. Um, but also, the cynical, the cynical types uh, might want to point might point out that yeah, you're getting all the money in for next season season tickets when potentially there's a bit of uncertainty at what comes at the club next season you know will Conte still be there will Spurs get the top four will Harry Kane want to go yeah I'm not a huge fan of this early deadline um I've looked back over the years I think I said this before and I think the closest I could find to it was sometime in 2015-16 when there was quite an early deadline roughly I think it was April 30th um but yeah, to have these discussions with the fan groups and still say, I think the exact expression that the trust are saying that the club used was that any change, the club was saying that any change made now would be unfair. Um, I don't know if the terminology is the greatest there because obviously some people might say having an April 29th deadline is probably unfair. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next with that and, and how many people take up the season tickets I'd imagine because fans support their team that they, they still will buy them. Um, that's not to say, you know, I agree with how it's been done at all, um, especially when everything's going on right now with the finances in, in the in, in the UK. You know, we all know the prices of everything's rising like crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think Spurs sometimes they do they do some really good stuff, um, do some good stuff in the community, things like that. I just think sometimes they're a little bit out of step with the way people are thinking. And I think unfortunately this is one of these occasions where it's not gonna do them any favours. And especially I think this is a summer when you really need the fans on board because if things do go wrong and Spurs do have to almost go back to the drawing board with a new manager and you know, God, let's hope not. But if they were to, let's say, lose Kane and Conte, that's that's a restart. That's a massive restart for the club. And you're going to have a very toxic fan base. And quite frankly, just little decisions like this for the sake of a month. I, I don't know. Personally, I don't see what the what the issue there is. It's just making a decision that maybe sits well with the fans. But uh but there you go. There you go. Sorry, I digress slightly. Um, slightly, a lot. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Joe Roden whatsoever. But I just thought, saw it was breaking. I thought it'd be nice if we could just have a little uh, comment on it. Well, what do you think about that? As, as someone that obviously supports a club who uh, season tickets, you know, you, you don't know. I think you've already got yours and you don't even know, obviously, with your club technically could be in the same division next season. 
Yeah, uh, I think got it in February, February time, about a month ago, saying uh, renewal windows open now. I just renewed it straight straight away, as a lot of fans will do. And the renewal deadline, same as Tottenham, in April the 29th, and I think it always is a bit of a early one uh, with like a month until the season ends. But I think that's probably just to give people at the club time to, you know, find out who is renewing, who is in list everything yeah. to have then a window open for new se- new season ticket holders. But for me, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be watching championship football next season or Premier League football and <laughs> the price has gone up slightly. So, uh, yeah, I think like you said, a lot of people probably will just renew anyway because that's what they've done for years and years and they will continue to do. So regardless of what division Tottenham are going to be in, uh, people will just renew. And I'd, I hope Spurs I mean, are in the Premier League next year. Uh, I think that should be a safe <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Spurs are going down now. But uh, <laughs> I mean, just in general, say if the worst thing did happen in a few years, people would still renew. But I mean, I don't know the current situation in regards to people on the waiting list. I imagine these people on the waiting list. Well, we're told there's a big one. There's a really like thousands upon thousands, like tens upon thousands. I mean, there was one told at some point it was 60,000, 70,000 people on the waiting list. I don't know whether that's the case nowadays. Obviously, we don't really have access to those kind of numbers anymore, I don't think. I mean, that might be something I can ask the club about, but... Uh, yeah, I think there's a fair few people waiting, and and perhaps that yeah that puts on pressure on people. They don't want to lose their their ticket or lose their place. Because I think that's the thing. If you do give it up, you will be waiting a fair few years. You might not even get one, depending if it, mm. the waiting list is as long as you say it is. So yeah, it, it's just one of these things. It's not probably ideal for some people and not knowing what situation Tottenham going to be in next season, which players, if the manager's still going to be here, but I think a lot of people will just renew anyway because of the love for the club. Yeah, and I think that's what, well, exactly. And I think that's what maybe gives Spurs the power to not care, maybe. I don't say not care, but, but not have to change the date because it's a bit like, well, we know you're going to do it anyway, and if you don't, someone else will, which I'm not saying that's the right thing, but unfortunately it's a bit like a supply and demand thing, isn't it? Can I just point out as well, which made me laugh this week, our boss Lee, I don't know if, I don't think I've told you this, but he spoke to a Spurs fan um, who was devastated by the news that you supported Everton, which I found really funny. But I actually think that's testament to you and this is all a bit mushy sounding, but I think that's testament to the way that you cover the club and can talk about it, that actually people think you're a Spurs fan. And I, think that's, I thought that was really interesting. Honestly, she was properly gutted when she found out that you were an Everton fan. Um, not that it should make any difference. And I, I, don't think, I don't think it really does either. But uh, I just thought I'd let you know that. Right. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if people would be devastated. That's about Everton. But I think it's a lot of the case for a lot of the journals probably yeah. don't support the club the cover and for me I know you will love covering Tottenham and you are a Tottenham fan but I wouldn't personally want to cover Everton because I want to go to a game and 
I mean, it sounds a bit daft, but just enjoy the football, Everton. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, I can't That's do that at the moment. Season, yeah. yeah, but you, you just want to, you know, relax and just enjoy the 90 minutes rather than having one eye on the game and one eye on your laptop, really. But, yeah. yeah. Nah, I never thought that. I was going to say, you've heard me say that. I've, it, it takes the emotion out of it slightly yeah. for me. Of course it does. You know, I grew up a Spurs fan. My, I had no no choice, quite frankly, as most Spurs fans don't. You're kind of born into it. Um, and, yeah, it does. You do lose that slight emotional connection. You can still enjoy the highs, I think, as much as you can while you're trying to write about it. But um, you probably, in a, the one good side is you may be slightly desensitised when things aren't going well. You're not going to get as angry. Uh, so, yeah, no, I totally take your point. I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting split. I was trying to think about the various football journalists we know. There's a fair chunk of the Spurs journos are Spurs fans. There's a little kind of chunk of them are, or certainly grew up as Spurs fans. Um, but it shouldn't really define how you cover a club. Um, you know, before I covered Spurs, I covered non-league teams, League Two teams, and I'd hope that all of those teams would say I covered them in the same way that I do Spurs now, you know, with with absolute kind of hopefully as much knowledge as possible and uh, and come out. And I think... I think that's what you bring to Spurs. And I think that's why this young lady was so devastated when she found out that, because she just assumed you must be a Spurs fan. Um, but yeah, this isn't the praise guesty hour. So um, <laughs> I just thought that was quite funny. I, wasn't, I didn't think I'd told you that. But I think when you cover a club as well, you want them to win. I can't imagine covering the club and wanting Spurs to lose every week because then that no. just makes your job an absolute nightmare. You want to write about Spurs, Spurs winning. Spurs now. Right. <laughs> no, I was saying like you want you want them to win because you want to be covering the, Champions League games, don't you? Spurs. Shall we move back on to the international <laughs> break? <laughs> you know you do. I'm not saying you support them. I'm just saying you've got a little soft spot for them because you know they're the club you cover. Right. Shall we move back on? <laughs> I love that. I, I like Everton. I keep an eye on Everton's results because you follow them. No, that's probably just to make sure we go down, isn't it? No, so you can rub it in. I don't, want, I don't want them to go down. I like Goodison Park. It's a good away day. Not that I get to go much when it was during the pandemic because you uh, secured that seat for yourself and Turf Moor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can go to Goodison next season. I'll let you. I'll sit in my seat for that game. What Street. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. So, yes, international right. break. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which place to talk about now. Obviously, we've, we've say, spoken a bit about I mean, Jura. Ben then. Davies was very good as well. Yeah. Also, ben Davies had a very good night as well for Wales. I tell you, I think he's just had a good season, Ben Davies. I did my player season ratings the other day, uh, one of the many international break staples that we do. A season ratings so far, I found it very difficult to kind of be harsh in any way on Ben Davies. I think he's had a good season. Um, he's not eye-catching like Romero, and, you know, he's probably not, um, you know, the organiser that Eric Dyer is. But you look at that left side of the back three, who else can play there? You know, I mean, I'd, hazard, I'd say Joe Roman maybe could. I think he used to play there for, um, I was going to say Sweden, for Swansea. Um, <laughs> although being in a back four rather than the back three, I think it was. Um, but I'd say Ben Davies has really kind of made that spot his own. And 
No, it's nice to see him doing well. He's, he's a good guy. He's been at the club for eight years, played about 260 games for Spurs. Every manager he has loves him. Um, I just don't think sometimes he's fully appreciated by the fans. And uh, not saying all fans, but just some fans, because he's not not someone you buy on FIFA. He's not someone you, you'd, you'd put in your all-star 11 kind of thing. Um, but we know football doesn't work that way. You don't have 11 superstars in a team. You know, It's not the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, and I think players like Ben Davies are there for a reason, and that's why all the managers love them. And uh, they will make mistakes. But then so do all players. You know, we've raved about Christian Romero, but he's made some daft mistakes as well. You know, Man City handball, um, all these yellow cards we talk about, but it doesn't detract from the player. I think just sometimes some players make a mistake and that's it. Doom, escape, go, boo, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I think Ben Davies deserves a little bit more than that. Right. Since you've been covering international break and I've been off, do you just want to give everyone a bit of an insight into what <laughs> Conte and the squad have planned over the next few days? Because, I mean, we've got just over, what, just over a week until Spurs are back in action against Newcastle. Yeah, yeah it's evening. got a long week. Yes. Uh, the relish with which you said, as you've been covering the international break, I, I didn't, you know, I noticed that. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's been interesting once Spurs left behind. Uh, obviously, we should also say Kulisevsky took a big old whack to the face with Sweden. People might have noticed he did a huge kind of um, bump on his face. Um, I'm not sure how it happened. I haven't actually seen the incident. I've just seen the image of his face. But um, but he uh, he had a positive result as well, obviously, because Uruguay went through, didn't they? Sweden, I think Sweden are through, aren't they, to the... Uh, Sweden are in their, the final of their playoff. I think they played Poland in midweek. Right. I, I don't know whether it's home or away, but yeah. So potentially Kulosevsky's got a, a place to play for at the World Cup at the end of the year. Yeah. So that's good for him. And he came through, obviously a whack on the face, but no injuries. That's what we want, especially a player playing so well. Um, in terms of the players left behind, um, yeah, Conte gave him a couple of days off. I know he was heading back to Italy to spend some time with his wife and daughter. I think it's Elisabetta and Vittoria. Um, some people have always kind of asked him, like, oh, it means he's not sticking around because his family is still in Italy. It's like, no, no, no. His daughter, Vittoria, I think she's only, I think she's 14. She is still at school in Italy. It's like one of those decisions where as parents, obviously you have to decide when she's just reaching the very end and all the exams and everything that come in, in secondary school, probably don't want to uproot her and stick her in an English school just for the sake of it. Um, so I think that's more to do with why they're there. And I think every opportunity he gets, he goes over there and they come over here. So obviously he's had that. And I think they're doing a few days' work this week. And I think this weekend they'll head off again and have a couple of more days off again. That's normally what happens in international breaks is that those players be between, um, between the two weeks in that middle weekend get some more time off to themselves. Um, there's not too many left behind, to be honest. I think it's about eight. I think we worked out something like that. Um, I mean, players like Eric Dyer, it's a good chance for him to kind of rest up. Like I say, for the injured ones, the likes of Sessegnon and, and Skip, it's just a chance to keep on recovering without missing matches. Um, and when we'll see them both back, it'll be interesting to see. I think Sessegnon was, was roughly five weeks, they were thinking, from the original injury. So hopefully that won't be too much longer after the international break. With Skip, we'll see. Like I say, I think Newcastle would be a huge ask. 
Um, but hopefully, oh, I don't know. It's one of those we can't predict. Conte is pulling his hair out over it um, because he's just getting so frustrated. But yeah, in terms of how they work, you know, they'll have the eight players. They'll have the um, the development squad players that aren't kind of got any international. Um, would you call it duties? Will be called in. Uh, it's a really difficult time. I suppose maybe you focus a lot on individual training and improving certain areas of players' games because, I mean, you look at those players that left. Can you really do much match preparation with them? I'd probably say not. Eric Dyer. Who else? So I think is there anyone else in the starting eleven that's still there? Uh, Sergio Reguilón. Oh, he got yeah, called Reguilon. up for Spain. I think we were discussing the other day. International break is probably perfect for him because mm. Conte can work with him because he's yeah. playing the final third has been a bit poor, hasn't it, really, at times. Uh, Lucas Lucas just never seems to be away from Hotspur away because he, I can't remember the last time he got an international call-up. He's yeah. one of them who always gets left behind. Uh, who else? Did Emerson go? I don't think he did, no. So I think no. Emerson should still be... Still be there. Galini should be back quicker than expected following Italy crashing out last night at the playoffs. Yeah. It's weird that he was called up. That is like, when was the last time he's played a game? Was it Morecambe? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that's probably, and that was probably the, the one game within a long time of not playing. But there you go. Yeah, yeah. Not, it's not the greatest experience returning to the Italy squad to just kind of come straight back home again almost. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week. I, I'd, I'd be fascinated to kind of, it's one of those we'll never get to do, but I'd love to just kind of go into an international break situation, be able to go to the training ground and see what they do. Because I, I imagine it must be, it might be a question I can maybe ask him on Friday. Probably be one of those questions where no one is interested in the answer but me. But I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they do. It must be individual work. It must be working on improving, like you say, Regalon in the final third, Emerson in the final third, um, and, and stuff like that. And, and Lucas, you know, get him improving his chance creation for others, which is why Kulusevsky is ahead of him at the moment. Work on that aspect. Um, even the development squad is quite kind of decimated. You've got the likes of Dane Scarlett, who's been away, scored his goal for England under-19s. I think Alfie Devine made his England under-19s. I think it was his debut as well. Um, also should point out, Dane Scarlett, just randomly in my answer about Son, Conte just decided he was probably going to big up Dane Scarlett. So saying that he's got a brilliant future ahead of him, I presume he's just been superb in training. And he kind of wanted to point out, I can't bring him on in matches at the moment, but this kid's going to be huge. And, you know, as a, as a seven, well, he's just turned 18, hasn't he? Is it yesterday? Um, to have two of the most trophy-laden managers in football, in Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte both tell you you're going to be one of the most important young players in the game. That's got to be one of those with like a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's got, to, it's got to give you huge confidence in what you're doing and to keep doing, hopefully, what you're doing. But it's also got to be the little worry that when you're that young, you hear that sort of stuff and you don't push on and you maybe rest on your laurels slightly. Um, from everything I understand about Dane, I think he is the most feet-on-the-ground player going. Um, he had a really bad knee injury a couple of years back. I think, I mean, I'm sure that's not to say he wasn't beforehand, but certainly an injury like that will make you realise how quickly everything can be taken away from you um, in this game. So 
I, I think he'll be the former. I think he'll take it all on board. And I think he'll improve his confidence. And I, I genuinely think, I think Spurs should certainly keep him at the club for the first half of next season. Continue to help him develop, give him little moments in the European games. Hopefully there will be. Um, and League Cup games. And then maybe in January, look at the situation and say, okay, so those games are pretty much mostly gone or they're knockout games now. I think Spurs will buy another striker in the summer as well. And do they say in January, you know, I know he's only 18, but maybe we just give him half a season to go and play regular minutes somewhere in a first team, toughen him up. What would you do with Dane Scarlett? How would you handle him if you were Conte? Probably like you said, just... uh keep him at the club for the first six months of next season and then just assess the situation because everyone was expecting him to play a lot of football this season. I'll play, I get, I'll get a lot more minutes than he had done in the previous season. But when he'd started in those conference league games, when Nuno was manager, you could tell that he was just like a young kid coming into the first team because he was up against senior pros and he was struggling at times and just looked a bit out of place and certainly wasn't helped in a few of the games by uh, a lack of creativity behind him. He just like cut a full-on figure up front uh, in in a few of them. So, I mean, you're in a situation now where he, he just isn't going to get the minutes because Spurs are, you know, playing for a, a Champions League spot but unless uh, a situation arises where Conte needs a goal in the final few minutes of one of the remaining games, then might not probably see Scarlett. I mean, it would be nice if he did come on in the Arsenal game and scored the winner, wouldn't it? <laughs> to, send, uh, to get Spurs into uh, the Champions League. But yeah, for me, uh, he'll just get his minutes in pre-season, won't he? to show what he can do uh, on the club's uh, tour of South Korea and then the other friendlies, what they'll have. And I think that's all you can do with him, really, at the moment, is just give him the match time and just build him up and build him up. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, you know, we, we've watched him play those games where he was starting in Europe. It was probably, when you look back, such a difficult time to put a young kid up front of his own. In the, in the Nuno team, which, you know, it's bad enough. We're just saying Harry Kane was barely getting any chances. So what's a young 17-year-old thrust up there on his own supposed to do? Um, I think we could all see that maybe his hold-up play was an area he needs to work on. And that, that's a natural thing when you're that age. You've got to bulk up a bit and, and be a bit stronger on the ball. But, yeah, for Conte to have come out and what, said what he did completely unprompted um, suggests that he's coming on leaps and bounds in training behind the scenes. And, yeah, pretty... A pre-season um, under Conte, I think, would hopefully Conte will do him wonders. And, uh, yeah, that's why I say – that's why I don't want them to do what they did with Troy Parrott, which was just decide with a club, yeah, you can have him for a whole season. Because I actually think with, with Dane, with, with the way he's progressing, the way people are talking about him, you give him that little six-month spell at the start before January, he might actually surprise people. You know, you, you look at someone like Marcus Rashford when he got that chance when he was young and he came in and essentially just blazed a trail for, you know, those those few months after, I think it was in the Europa League, wasn't it, under um, Van Gaal uh, when he came in. Someone else was injured. He wasn't even in the squad, was he? Um, I think I think that's all it needs. It's just for him. I think if he gets that 
first little moment, I think we've he's got an assist, hasn't he? He's got an assist in the Europa League. Um, he just needs to think, just just get a few extra rather than one minute here and there. Um, again, it's difficult to see him getting it now, right now, unless Spurs are really up in a game like two or three nil up. But um, yeah, I'd give him that chance in the first half next season because I think uh, yeah, he might shock a few people that aren't aware of just how good Dane Scarlett could be. Yeah, hinting at Dane to be the World Cup wildcard then. Because I mean, right, Rashford, he, he, he went uh, to the Euros, didn't he? Pretty much straight oh, after wow. that run. Yeah, I, I, thank you for pushing me in that direction. I wasn't quite <laughs> going that far. You never know. You know I was joking, when I was joking by the way. Especially when someone like Theo Walcott can get into an England squad without having even played um, a Premier League game. Um, but yeah, no, the key thing for him is just to um, just keep on doing what he's doing because whatever he is doing is really impressing Conte. And uh, just got to work his way up to the England levels, you know. Scoring England under 19 goals is a big thing as well. And I wouldn't imagine it will be too long until he's in the under 21s, which will um, be the next step for him. Um, and yeah, just see what he can do. He's just just got to keep his feet on the ground. You know, we've seen other Spurs players and other players at other clubs that have had huge praise and have suddenly fallen away. They haven't been able to keep going. And obviously, injuries has got to stay clear of. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he kind of develops over the coming months. Yeah, Spurs have a very good player there, and it's going to be really good to see him. And Alfie, I should say Alfie Devine as well. I think he's the one that's maybe going under the radar a bit because of Dane Scarlett. Um, I think a pre-season for him could be a very big step in his development. Yeah, certainly bodes well for Tottenham with some promising youngsters coming through. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. I believe we're planning on doing a Q&A next week, are we? Oh, yes, yes. We're going to try and do one of those next week. Um purely in a cynical view because the international break is not going to give us plenty to speak about for our next podcast. Um, but we enjoy the Q&As. They're good fun as well. So what we'll do is probably on the morning that we're going to do the podcast, we'll um, put out a tweet asking for all of your questions. You know, it, it can be about Spurs. You can throw in some uh, other ones if you like because we like quite fun ones. Especially, uh, nothing probably about movies for guests. It's a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> but um, no, we'll have a bit of fun with that. And we'll probably do that maybe later next week. Uh, probably not the Friday because we'll have the press conference. But maybe uh, maybe the Wednesday or the Thursday. We'll see how we're going. And uh, yeah, no, it'll be good fun. Yeah, so send your questions in and we'll see you next week on Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.